I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com, that's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Some things are hard to accept. Let's rewind a bit and go back to World War I. And let's go to 1917 of World War I. And I realize... Everybody's not a World War I freak like I am. What does that mean, 1917? Here's what it means. It means 
The beginning of the war was 1914. Then there was the brutal Western Front slog of 1915. You had huge, huge battles through 15 and 16 of the Somme and Verdun and battles we've done before on the show and battles we'll do again. Don't worry if you missed them. We'll come back and revisit those another time. But here's the status on the ground. We now officially have a Russian revolution. The communists are busy taking over over there. France is almost completely broken. France is also in the middle of a mutiny, which we have to dwell on for just a moment. When I say completely broken, here's the deal. They are running out of money. They're running out of young men. The numbers on how on the percentage of young men from France who took place in World War I are staggering. You read them and you can't, your jaw just hits the ground. It was all of them. If you were a young dude, if, unless there was something wrong with you, you were going to fight. Maybe die, maybe come back with casualties. They had gone through horrible battles like Verdun, which was a French battle. And... Russia had done something interesting. You see, as you and I are learning today, is the reason we always look back, the communists don't look around and see anything but unconquered lands. Communism was never going to be just for Russia. They thought to themselves, we could probably spread this out a little bit. And it got into the French army. And here's the thing about communism. And understand, it's sold differently to young soft heads today in the American system. But it's still the same basic concept. You have been wronged. You have been wronged by people in charge. You put me in charge. I will hurt those people and take what they have and give it to you. That's how it's sold every single time. In, in, in Russia, where there were bread lines, women are starving, it's a disaster. It was not difficult to go and say, look at these wealthy czars in their palaces with their steak, and you're here starving in the bread lines. Elect me, fight with me on the communist side. I'll take what they have and give it to you, and we'll all be equal. Now, you can rip on that all you want, and so can I. You know I'm the biggest anti-communist in the world. That's an appealing message when you're starving. That is an appealing message when you're starving and they're not starving. It is. It plays on the human mind. Now, it plays on the worst parts of human nature. I'm not defending it, but there's appeal there. There is appeal there. You watching your kids go hungry, they're 300 pounds because they're eating six meals a day. That message is appealing. In the French army, it was sold like this at the time. Understandably so. Remember, the World War I saga is a tale of a lot of things. But massive leadership failure and... I don't want to say disregard for loss of life because that's kind of unfair. At the same time, it's really fair. The generals, remember, going into this war, 
had never fought a war like this. There had never been a war like this in the history of mankind. Very rarely can you say there's never been something like this. Well, there had never been something like this. This huge, and there'd never been a war with this kind of technology before. Well, of course we're going to get on our horses and do a cavalry charge. That's what we've always done. Oh, really? Because two guys in a machine gun nest just took out your entire unit. The men and the horses are all now laying there dead or dying. You're asking generals to learn large-scale combat and small unit tactics on the fly when weaponry had changed so much. Warfare. Sound the bugle, son. We're going in. Oh, really? Here's some mustard gas. Have fun clawing out your throat with your horse. That was World War One, And the generals in general, haha, how about that? What, Chris? It's called a play on words. Learn it. The generals in general want to do something when it comes to combat. And let's, let's pause really briefly there for a moment. You obviously want initiative. You want somebody who wants to do something. You, 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 you want that out of your armed forces. I, they were obsessed over it in the Marine Corps, much more so than even in the Army. Aggressive, move forward, always advancing, always it doesn't matter if everything's perfect. You keep going, keep him on his heels, speed, aggressive, do something, do something. And every general wants to be thought of like Hannibal Barca, like Napoleon, go forward, enemy on their heels, like Julius Caesar, you're the aggressive general. But pause there for a moment. You know, there's that great verse in the Bible, there's a time for everything. It's even in the Old Testament. Even Jewish producer Chris believes in it. There's a time for everything. Sometimes, yes, aggressive, move forward, go. Sometimes it's best to just sit and wait. But the problem is when it comes to combat, and we don't look at World War I or World War II this way because we look back at them as, the, as these gigantic, bloody, but glorious struggles where the good man came out on top and the bad man lost. You know, that's how we look at these things. You don't look at the huge amount of politics involved and ambition involved. You're a new general or an established general. You're not a king. You're a French general, a big shot. You're not some god king. You are subject to the whims of the politicians over and over top of you. And you know what's very, very difficult to go tell a politician? You want to know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. And trying to be less white? Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. You make some promises to yourself when you're sitting beside a hospital bed with one of your loved ones laying there with tubes coming out of them with heart problems. The truth is heart problems run in my family. Blood pressure problems run in my family. I have to do certain things to take care of my heart. 
one of the things, in fact, the easiest thing I do to take care of my heart is eat two Super Beats heart chews every single day. They combine non-GMO beets with a powerful new ingredient, grapeseed extract. That's right. All natural and outstanding for my heart, outstanding for my blood pressure, and they taste great. Go to GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. That's GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. Oh, and get this. If you go there and buy two bags, they give you a third for free. Find me on social media at Jesse Kelly DC on Twitter, on Instagram. Somehow I still haven't been kicked off of those two. Suspended several times. There are warnings, so it's coming, but I'm on Facebook too. Remember, I'm on Locals. I can't be kicked off of Locals. Don't worry about that. So you can find me on Locals. Most of my stuff I'll put on Locals will be free. They have a paid thing, and I am going to do videos for, for whoever pays, like little two-minute long videos. But, yeah, that's pretty cool. Trying to be less white? This Coca-Cola story is so (laughs) insane. The whole world's gone crazy. Gosh. All right. Generals. You know what's really hard for a general to do? Politician. Calls a general in. Hey, general, what's what's the plan today? What what do we do? We're in a a bit of a pickle here, in a a bit of a world war. What are you going to do? Very, very, very difficult for a general to say, nothing. We're, we're just going to wait. You see, we have we have advantages on, on supplies and things like that. We have advantages they don't have. Plus, we're just throwing away men's lives, and these men's lives are really important. We can win the war. I understand I have to do that. But really, the best thing we can do to win the war is just sit right here. They're going to run out of food and stuff before we do, and then we'll win. See, you, you're sitting here saying to yourself, well, yeah, that makes sense. Why can't you have that conversation? Generals don't have that conversation ever. Ever. What are you going to do? Uh, uh, we are, uh, uh, we're going to, uh, we'll do a big attack. We'll, we'll do an attack. I have a great idea. This will change everything. And it did. It kept Losing lives for no reason at all. There was a gigantic French offensive called the Nouvelle Offensive. Robert Nouvelle was the new big cheese in the French army. Yeah, he got sacked pretty soon because the Nouvelle Offensive was once again throwing a bunch of brave Frenchmen against German dug-in, dug-in lines, and they're dying. And now you have a French mutiny. Now, the French mutiny was not... Everybody throwing down their rifles and going home. The French mutiny was a bunch of dudes that said, oh, I'm not going to leave the trench. I'm here. I'm not attacking anymore. That's the last time I'm ever doing that. And don't look down on these guys for that. These are some of the bravest dudes who've ever lived. And they've gone through everything. And at some point in time, you're tired of watching your buddies die for nothing. Nothing. The French army didn't even crack down too hard. Yes, they executed some people. They arrested some people. But the French army backed off and started giving them better food and better stuff. They realized, uh, yeah, we have to do something different here. So, which brings us to 
a place called Ypres. There had already been two battles there. It starts with a Y. Don't bother looking it up. But I often wonder if this is the worst of the World War I battles. And there are so many terrible ones. But this one's called, or it's known as Passchendaele, or the Third Battle of Ypres. And here was the situation. It was flat, reclaimed marshlands. The British want to do an offensive of their own, just like the latest French offensive. They want to go after them. The, why, why do the British want to do an offensive? Well, one, because of just what we talked about. You want to do something if you're a general. But two, Germany had really picked up its unrestricted submarine warfare game, and that was becoming a real problem for Britain. If you Just to recap what that is, that is exactly what it sounds like. We have submarines. We're Germany. We don't have a navy that can compete with Britons on, on the surface of the water. Our subs aren't going to compete with British warships. What our subs can do, though, is sink every single vessel, merchant vessel, going into Britain. And there were many of them supplying Britain with the food and things like that its civilians and its army needed. Germany said, well, Britain's had a blockade on our country for a long time. Our people are now on turn-up diets. I think we can go ahead and starve Britain, too. And they were doing it, and it was extremely effective. Now, when things like that are happening, the British politicians are going to bring in the British generals and say, what are you going to do? And just like we talked about, you can't in that moment say, oh, nothing. I think they'll starve before we do. No, 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 no. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. They decide they're going to do an offensive. And they're going to do an offensive in a place the Germans have dug in like you can't even imagine. What do I mean by dug in? Well, how about nine layers? Nine layers of defense. The Germans had had layers on top of layers, and the Germans are so—I mean, they're German. They're so good at this stuff anyway. They had they had layers with wallpaper and carpeting in it, electricity. Right? I, we're not talking about the trenches you're picturing in 1915, where you're laying in a muddy puddle with a rat peeing on your chest. This is nice. The Germans are fortifying everything with concrete. The Germans, here's how far the Germans go, and I've seen pictures and videos of these. You can still go see them online. The Germans, because they were aware of how horrible this war was and how much it was destroying the human psyche of all the men who fought it, they would build a mini village behind the front line that was supposed to be an exact replica of something the German troops would see at home. They would build a little shop where you could go in and drink wine and write letters. They would build a little home that looked like German homes with a fireplace and books in it. So you could, when it was your time to rotate out of the lines, you would get to, quote, go back home for a couple days. That's how, that's how intense the Germans were. The British, however had a plan, and the plan was simply this. One, they were going to try to work around the weather and attack in August. Remember I said this is reclaimed marshlands? It's flat, 
The water table is absurdly high. And they knew. They studied 80 years of weather. 80 years of weather to figure out the rains aren't going to come till after August. Oh, they're going to come in after August, but not till after August or maybe late August. Well, whoops, that turned out to be wrong. And they had another part of their plan. The British had, and this is, you know what? I'm going to do an entire show on this. I might do it this week. I should do an entire show on this. I just thought of this. The British had tunnels. When I say tunnels, I mean this. The 1915, before this, a couple years before this, Britain started recruiting miners into their army. To what purpose? They were going to dig down and then dig tunnels underneath the German lines. Tunnels where they could go down and listen. Tunnels where they could tunnel under the German lines and pile up explosives. They were digging tunnels underneath this Ypres area, Passchendaele area, for two years, stacking explosives. But the thing is, the Germans knew about these tunnels, and the Germans would dig counter tunnels. They would dig tunnels parallel to the British ones. They would dig tunnels above them, tunnels below them. They're listening to each other in the tunnels, and, and this is why I need to do a show on this. You know, I'm definitely doing one. There were times, several times, where they would break through into each other's tunnels in near pitch black, and sometimes the lanterns would go out, and it would be inch uh, pitch black, and have a bayonet fight or a knife fight with each other in the tunnels. I'm not making that up. Is that not the most horrific thing you've ever seen in your life? The PTSD from after that, was it, it was breaking to people. You can imagine, you don't walk away from that the same way. But Britain had a plan for these tunnels under Ypres. You know what that plan was? It's really cool. I'll tell you in a second. And trying to be less white. Never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Eight seven seven three seven seven four three seven three. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. 
the French government taking shots at America's universities. Ouch. <laughs> that hurts. A minor, minor disaster at my house, too, after the Texas freeze. I'll go over that in a minute. All right. But first, let's try to wrap this thing up here. Passchendaele. The British had been digging, digging this tunnel. And they get the idea for yet another massive offensive, throwing themselves against these German defensives that are just awesome. Absolutely awesome. This tunnel they had been digging, they had been stacking explosives under it. And I don't mean a stick of dynamite. I mean, they had dug a tunnel underneath really a hilltop where the Germans were dug in. And they had been stacking tons and tons and tons and tons of explosives underneath it. And they set it off. How big was the explosion? Well, up to that point, actually, I think possibly still today. I don't, don't quote me on that. I think this still holds up today. It's the largest non-nuclear explosion in the history of mankind. They were supposed to have been able to feel it. 200 miles away, they incinerated the hilltop. 10,000 Germans, 10,000 died instantly, vaporized. Chris is looking pictures of it right now. His mouth is just gone. They just, they, I mean, how cool is that? Two years to dig a trench, fill it up with explosives, they blow it off. And then they fire 4.2 million shells at the Germans trying to finish blowing them off the line. Now, I want you to understand something about the Germans too. It wasn't just, it wasn't just unrestricted sub warfare that had really gotten the other side angry, thinking they're fighting unfair, thinking they're doing German things. You know, how the Germans, everybody knows world war one was famous for gas. The Germans would use gas, mustard gas and things like that. The Germans, part of the thing that gets Germans in trouble <clears throat> a lot throughout history is not just that they're, they can be a bit brutal. It's that they're good at it. That's the problem. Remember, the real difference between Nazis and ISIS, the Nazis were better at it. ISIS is just as evil as Nazi Germany. By the grace of God, never got that kind of control, so couldn't spread that kind of mass carnage. The Germans were good at it. If you want to, if you want to exterminate 6 million Jews, let's just say you're the Antichrist and you want to exterminate 6 million Jews, I really would like it if that's a dumb person who wants to exterminate 6 million Jews. What I don't want is an efficient German who comes up with a way to get it done really quickly. That's the problem. You want and I want our enemies stupid. That's what we want. We want our enemies dumb and incapable. The Germans, they weren't just gassing you. They had come up with something new and had recently used it. This was called Blue Cross gas. Doesn't sound bad, right? Blue Cross gas. Do you know what Blue Cross gas was? Well, you see... The other side, the French and the British, had obviously started issuing gas masks in response to German gassing. And if you're a German, you're going to look at that and think to yourself, well, that sucks. Maybe we should find a way to get the gas masks off of them. Blue Cross gas? The Germans would fire it 
at the British or French, it would cause such itching, such like supposedly you would want to peel your skin off. Guys would scratch themselves bloody. It would cause such itching and irritation that it would force guys to rip their gas masks off. At which point in time, when they witnessed enough of them doing it, then they would fire the mustard gas to kill them all. Like I said, ugly. Efficient, ugly, good at it. So that's the kind of anger we have built up in the Allies. But the British, they fire 4.2 million shells, and then they do the big charge, the big offensive, and it's initially so successful. You know, you get a day or two where they're pushing them back, but then it stalls, as it always stalls, because the German defenses are so dug in at Passchendaele. And I want you to understand what comes next. Yes, the rain comes next. But it was rain in a flat area that already had a high water table. The rains start to fall. They start to fall early. They start to fall heavy. And an entire area starts to, we're talking a 25-kilometer long front, starts to drown in mud at one time. Everybody's drowning in mud. There were men who fought at Passchendaele, who had fought at the other major battles of World War I, and they said Passchendaele was worse than all of them. Because now, I want you to understand, 4.2 million artillery shells. What's that going to do to the ground? Craters in the ground. Craters now full of mud. Craters you can't see because the mud covers it up. So you're just walking along and you fall into the mud. We now have guns, entire artillery guns, sinking into the mud. We have horses. Remember how important horses were in World War I, and the men loved them. Horses, horse as a personality, like a dog. Horses sinking into the mud and drowning. You know that scene from Never Ending Story where his horse is drowning? If you've never seen it, I guess it's a kid's show, but it could be a bit traumatic because I'm getting a little choked up as we speak. Oh, no, I'm not, but I'm serious. It's sad. Horses drowning in the mud. Men experienced that all across the battle. But wait, there's more. It had stalled. The rain came. What happens in battle? Men get shot. But men don't always die right away. In fact, the norm is they don't. You know, there's a reason there's always way more wounded than dead. But you're laying there. You're laying there waiting for medical attention, someone to come patch you up or pick you up and carry you out. Oftentimes, these injuries are so debilitating you can't get up and move on your own. Now, I want you to imagine running across the battlefield, maybe getting shot in the leg. You're going down there. It's not the end of the world. You can't move. Your leg is shattered. You're just going to wait until nightfall. That's when they would go out and retrieve the wounded most of the time to keep from getting shot. And as you lay there, unable to move, the mud starts to raise around you and starts to consume you. And eventually you drown in it. They drown in the mud all over this place. And the battle keeps going. And now you have horses drowning in the mud, men drowning in the mud. If you look at pictures of the battle, you'll see undoubtedly boards, platform boards set down everywhere. They had to set down boards and create paths across the mud. 
There's a there's a famous story out there about one guy drowning in the mud for the over the course of two days. They couldn't get him out. They kept trying to pull him out, but you would go in yourself and the mud would suck you down. And finally, the guy starts begging. He's only his head is out of the mud now. Imagine two days of slowly drowning in the mud, and eventually only his head's out, and he's begging his buddies to shoot him. That's a moment that never, ever, ever leaves you. Ever leaves you. That is what it was like. And now you have a sea of mud, a sea of craters, a sea of dead horses, a sea of dead men, in the rain and soaking mud, and it starts to stink. So many of the guys at Passchendaele talked about how bad it stunk, what the horrible odor was of all this dead, decaying horses and men. And you know, there's something really, really hard to accept as this battle stalls out and they lose a bunch more men unnecessarily. You know what the thing that's hard to accept is? It's for you and I, too. I'll tell you in a second. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. There's something out there that's so hard to accept. 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Remember, you see, you email me, I will read it. All your emails go to Jewish producer Chris. He prints them. I read them all. Your love, your hate, your death threats, your ask Dr. Jesse questions. I actually have a few emails I'm going to get to on the air today. There was some heavy hitters out there, so I got to get those. We have Medal of Honor Monday today. We're going to get to that in about 10 minutes here. There's an absolute beast we're going to honor from Vietnam on Monday. What a stud this guy was. But you know what's so hard to accept? And I struggle with this a lot. So whenever I'm struggling with something, I assume you struggle with something. Here's what's so hard to accept about large-scale combat, political, World War I, whatever the case may be. It's really hard to just accept this is going to take a while. 
And there aren't going to be big victories that seal the deal. Right now, my email inbox is constantly full of people feeling like I'm feeling, feeling like what we're facing culturally right now is insurmountable. It feels so big. There's so much wrong. It's such a disaster. The, the culture is completely gone. We don't have education system anymore. We don't have a media. We don't have Hollywood. The entire Democratic Party's gone. Half the Republican Party's gone. We don't even have sports. We don't have any. They took it all. And it feels overwhelming. Hold on. What we have, the battle before you and me, one, it's going to take a while. Two, you and I, no matter how old you are, you and I are never, ever, ever going to see final victory in this battle in our lifetimes. That's simply not the way it works. It's taken 100 years to get here. It's going to take at least that once we change direction to get back. So get that. We're never going to see final victory. So if you set that final victory thing aside, it makes things easier to understand. And lastly, little victories are good. But if we try for too many big ones, we can really, really, really hurt our overall cause in the end. Sometimes you've got to be the general that says, ah, you know, I don't think we should do anything today, sir. I think the plan should be hold fast and wait. Hold fast and wait. That needs to be the plan. But overall, we have to accept this is going to take a while. And that's so hard to accept because it is so important. And I'm not going to act like it's not. And it matters so much. The stakes are so high. And the country, the country seems to be losing its mind all at once. I mean, all this culture war stuff. It's happened so fast. Now, don't get me wrong. It's been decades of small victories for them here and small victories for them there until they got in a place where now they can just institutionalize insanity. But don't lose heart. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. Just keep conquering the two inches in front of your face. I mean, this is... Coca, well, here's a headline. This is from the Federalist. Whistleblower. Coca-Cola uses anti-racist training that tells employees to try to be less white. Not making this up. This is, uh, this is real. The 49-minute training video by D'Angelo, the author of the book White Fragility, is titled Confronting Racism. Right away, the course establishes that all white people are born racist. Quote, Nothing exempts any white person from forces of racism, says D'Angelo. When you accept the reality of your socialization, you, you can begin to examine how you are shaped by it. Understand this. This is one of the largest companies in the world putting their employees through this. Continued, quote, in the U.S. and other Western nations, white people are socialized to feel that they are inherently superior because they are white, she continues, 
Research shows that by age three to four, children understand that it is better to be white. Employees are told in the what you can do section to be less white, be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive, be less arrogant, be more humble. They already had be less arrogant on there. Be more humble. Listen, believe, break with apathy, break with white solidarity. This is not in your kids' gender studies class at that crazy liberal university you sent them to. This is corporate America now. This is in your church. This is in your church. I got another one this weekend. Another one. Somebody walks right up to me. Talking about white privilege from the pulpit. Pastor talking about white privilege. You want to know what this really is? I'm going to lay it out for you exactly what this really is and why it's communism and why it's here. You ready? Hang on. I'm going to. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Eight seven seven three seven seven four three seven three. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Remember. It's a nationally syndicated radio show, not to brag or anything like that. But you can catch the podcast of every show after the show. They're all on iHeart, Google, Spotify. They're on iTunes. Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave a review talking about how handsome I am. I have two new podcast reviews. They're both awesome. I'm reading them both today. Oh, and I forgot to mention this earlier in the show. Power grids. How much do you know about power grids? There's been a lot of talk about that lately with what happened in Texas. What do you know about how they actually work? Chances are not that much. We're having a power grid expert on the show in the last hour. We're going to just be nerds. And then we'll act smarter than everyone else for the rest of the day. Hang on.
Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Most white people and Europeans are about agendas and to-do lists and tasks and, oh, we have 30 minutes for this and, oh, time to move on, where many people of color, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. In South Africa, if we were meeting right here, 235, if uh, Craig Bill walked in right now in South Africa, what would happen is they would stop, welcome him, how was your weekend, you had any plans for Thanksgiving, and would bring him up to speed on what he missed if we were in South Africa. If somebody, if Craig Bill walked in right now here in Tumwater, Washington, we say hello, uh, this, and maybe somebody, well, our chairs are gracious, so you all would let them know here we are, but it's basically, this is where we are, so just get with it. That was from Governor Inslee. That was from his equity task force. Equity. You understand what's happening with this critical race theory thing, right? I'm about to break down the entire game for you. Critical race theory. This also applies equally to the feminist movement. It applies equally to the LGBTQ Air Force movement. It applies to all of them. You know what it is? Here's what it is. One, the communists, like I've told you before, have changed their language to make it more American because we don't have bread lines here. But remember, just like we were talking about the Russian Revolution a little bit earlier, you have to find people with grievances, legitimate or otherwise, in order to sell communism. You don't have your bread lines here. But you have... Obviously, a huge, huge part of the population who thinks America's racist, who doesn't like America's history. And and look, it's not like it's not like there's a defense of slavery, even though that's the history of every nation. So you have something you like I said, you can play off of something legitimate slavery. Feminism, LGBTQ Air Force, all these things. And what's going on here? What's going on is the communists knew that they could use these groups to keep themselves in power, to gain more power for themselves. The heads of the Democratic Party, the big tech oligarchs, these people don't actually on an individual level care about feminism. They don't care about black people. They don't care about gay people. They They don't care at all. They understand they have some knowing and oftentimes unwitting foot soldiers who will go forth and destroy what they want destroyed, and it will give them more power in the meantime. You see, let's just take the critical race theory people for a minute. This anti-white racist stuff that is spreading throughout schools, it's spreading throughout your church, it's spreading throughout all of these things. White people are bad, white privilege, white, 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 all this, it's awful, it's disgusting, it's disgusting. Well, who's contributing to critical race theory? Well, you have a couple different things. One, like I already said, the Democrats in power and the tech oligarchs 
are pushing it because they know it's going to crush people they want crushed. But who are the actual foot soldiers? Are they all, do they all consider themselves Democrat propagandists? Of course not. You have a bunch of people in there who feel like they've been put upon, who feel like they've been oppressed, they've been historically crapped on, and they, they want some revenge. Revenge is that part of human nature that's bad, it's really, really bad, but it's easy to come out and it's easy to play on that. That's what equity is. Oh, you're starting from too far behind. We can't ever be equal until we crush right people to the point where they'll make you equal. That's the thinking behind equity. That's what they mean between equity. So you have that part of the critical race theory movement. When it comes to the schools, the educators, rest assured, white liberals are pushing this stuff like they've always pushed this stuff because it makes them feel charitable. It makes them feel like... Like they're giving back. In their minds, that's a way for them to give back to the little people. And of course, they view black people as the little people. Of course they do. Of course they do. It comes out all the time. It's always accidental. It slips up. Ooh, ooh, whoops. That's what they think. How did it get to your church? Well, this may be the most brilliant thing the communists have ever pulled off. What pastor doesn't want equality? And love and acceptance. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus did? That's what Jesus did. He just wanted everybody equal, right? Well, how do we get equal? Well, we have to we have to we have to recognize our skin color and we have to trash our skin color in order to make things equal. That's what Jesus would have wanted. If that seems twisted, it's twisted and disgusting and wrong. Nevertheless, it's there. It's everywhere right now. And you have got, got to fight against it. You've got to stand up to it. But that was just the critical race theory part. I could have walked through that exact same thing with feminism. I could walk through the exact same thing with LGBTQ Air Force. I could walk through it every single time. You have your foot soldiers on the ground. Most of them unwitting tools of the communists. You have the white liberals pushing it because they feel like it's charity. And what do you have at the top? You have the big tech puppet masters and the heads of the Democratic Party who don't actually care about any of these people, but they know, oh, we can use all of them to keep ourselves in power. Just keep pushing it. Just keep poking them in the ribs and we will keep ourselves in power. We will keep ourselves in power. And you're going to see this ramp up all over the country. All this stuff, all this inequality, transgender, critical race, all of it is just a way to destroy what exists with the promise of the the lower peoples, the little guy, with the promise of giving back to the little guy, but the result of empowering the big guys and slaughtering everybody else. It's the same communism we've seen time and time and time again. The language has simply changed. They've just made it cultural now. It's 
everywhere. And the most amazing thing about it is this. 95% of the people who use words like white privilege and things like that, when I call them communists and they get mad, that anger they feel at me is legitimate. These people have no idea, mostly, that they're pushing communism. They have no clue that's what they're doing. They just don't know it. These people genuinely think, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give back. I'm trying to make things more equal. I want America to be uh, uh, less racist, uh, uh, less misogynistic. I want America to be more inclusive. That's what they think. And they're all the unwitting fools who are going to destroy the place. Communism destroys every single time. That's all it knows how to do. It's a religion of domination. It's all about misery and death. But you have to understand this. And this is so critical. And it's hard to, it's hard to accept this. It is. When you point out the hypocrisy of these people. You you point out to something, that sounds racist. I see people on the right say that all the time as if that's going to dissuade them. Wait a minute, that's racism. That sounds racist. You must get this. And this applies to everything, way beyond the race stuff too. They know they don't care. They know it's hypocritical. They know it's racist. They know it's wrong. They know it destroys They don't care. All right. I have to answer a steakhouse question real quick. Hang on. Jesse Kelly on air and online at jessekellyshow.com. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. The other part portion is a lot of people don't know how to register. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts, know how to use, know how to get online to determine. Black people and Hispanic people can't get online. Didn't you know that? Joe Biden 
He's here to help. Look, you obviously aren't able to get online. You're black, right? You don't know how to use the internet. You're Hispanic. You can't do it. They don't know. You see, it slips out all the time. What they really think slips out all the time. All right. It's time for Medal of Honor Monday before I get to the steakhouse thing. Remember, I am a bad person. I am not a good person. I don't claim otherwise. Never have, never will. This is a bad show. We screw off all week. We talk about inappropriate things. But we do do one good thing, and it's on Monday. We do Medal of Honor Mondays. We read a Medal of Honor citation from somebody. If we don't, these men and their deeds get forgotten. It's not enough that this citation exists. It's not enough. It has to be read. It has to be spread. It has to be passed down or it disappears. And what they did, these men, they deserve to be remembered. And so we will do it. And this one is Mr. Ryan L. Pitts, Vietnam War, U.S. Army. He was a captain. Distinguished himself by exceptional heroism while serving as company commander during an airborne assault. Immediately after his company landed in the area, several Viet Cong opened fire with automatic weapons. Despite the enemy fire, Captain Pitts forcefully led an assault which overran the enemy positions. Shortly thereafter, Captain Pitts was ordered to move his unit to the north to reinforce another company heavily engaged against a strong enemy force. As Captain Pitt's company moved forward to engage the enemy, intense fire was received from three directions, including fire from four enemy bunkers, two of which were within 15 meters of Captain Pitt's position. The severity of the incoming fire prevented Captain Pitt's from maneuvering his company. His rifle fire proving ineffective against the enemy due to the dense jungle foliage, foliage, he picked up an M79 grenade launcher and began pinpointing targets. Seizing a Chinese communist grenade, which had been taken from a captured Viet Cong's web gear, Captain Pitts lobbed the grenade at a bunker to his front, but it hit the dense jungle foliage and rebounded. Without hesitation, Captain Pitts threw himself on top of the grenade, which fortunately failed to explode. Captain Pitts then directed the repositioning of the company to permit friendly artillery to be fired. Upon completion of their artillery fire mission, Captain Pitts again led his men toward the enemy positions, personally killing at least one more Viet Cong. The jungle growth still prevented effective fire to be placed on the enemy bunkers. Captain Pitts, displaying complete disregard for his own life and personal safety, quickly moved to a position which permitted him to place effective fire on the enemy. He maintained a continuous fire, pinpointing the enemy's fortified positions, while at the same time directing and urging his men forward until he was mortally wounded. Captain Pitt's conspicuous gallantry, extraordinary heroism, and intrepidity at the cost of his life above and beyond the call of duty are in the highest traditions of the U.S. Army and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, and the armed forces of this country. Amen. That is a beast right there. Now, we've been talking steakhouses recently. On Friday, in case you missed it, Friday was an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. It was a blast. There was some steakhouse talk. And off the steakhouse talk, I got this. 
Totally agree with your assessment of steakhouses. My dad usually does them way better with his choice cuts than those places are usually prime. However, have you ever tried a Brazilian steakhouse like Fogo de Chao? He says it's pronounced Fogo de Sean. That's not right. If so, what's your opinion? I think it's absolutely amazing. Also, it's hard to beat high-quality ribeye, top sirloin, filet mignon, lamb, and other cuts roasted on a spit. First of all, let me describe what happens if you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse. Almost everyone I've ever been to has a gigantic salad bar. And when I say salad bar, believe me, you're already getting the wrong image in your head. It's like the size of a room with everything you can imagine on it. That's one. But two, let's go to the actual meat portion. Here is how it works. You go in, you sit down, you order your food. You then are visited a thousand times by various waiters carrying various types of meat asking if you want any. Do you want any of this? Do you want any of that? Do you want any of this? And they're constantly slicing you off extra pieces. You're not paying per slice. You go in, you pay, and then they're just giving you all the meat you can handle. No, I don't want any of this. Yes, I want some of that. No, I don't want this. Some places even have little cards you'll hold up. Yes, I want more. No, I don't want more. They're extremely popular. Extremely popular. The food is very good. I hate it. I hate it. Chris has his hands raised already. See, this is why your hands are already raised, Chris, because you're thinking I get all this food, all the food I can eat for one set price. That's what you're thinking, right? And it is very good food. You're right. You're right. However, if I'm going to pay, because you know you can't do that stuff often. No one has that kind. Well, I don't. I don't have that kind of money. People don't generally have the kind of money to go. So I'm going steakhouse every day. It's a special occasion. Taking the old lady, lady out Valentine's Day something. I don't want to be bombarded the entire time answering questions, even yes and no questions. I don't want you over my shoulder the whole daggone meal. I don't want you interrupting 8,000 conversations I have. And look, a lot of this comes into me being a bad person. I talk for a living. So three hours of radio every day, an hour of TV every single night. But you will be shocked to know, actually long-time listeners won't, but you'll be shocked to know in public, and when I'm not on the air, I am a fairly quiet person. I'm not a mouse that hides in the corner, but in social gatherings and things like that, I don't speak very much. I watch, I observe, I listen, I let other people talk, and I just enjoy myself. Sit back, sip on a bourbon, good to go. I talk so much now that when I'm off the air, I don't want to deal with other people. I ignore almost every phone call I get. I ignore 99% of my text messages, emails. I'll read them, but I don't respond because it's endless now. As the show's gotten bigger, and I'm not complaining about it. It's not like this is a hard life. As the show's gotten bigger, it is endless the, the text messages, the emails, the private messages, it, it's endless. You don't have time. It would consume every minute of every day to try to respond to all of them. So I don't. When I first got into this business, a good friend of mine, I'm not going to give you his name, but he's a, he's a big national guy you would know. 
I would call his phone because he's a good buddy. He His voicemail says, hey, this is so-and-so. I do not check voicemails, so don't leave me a voicemail. That's his voicemail message. And I used to think, oh, what a jerk. Gosh, that's so funny. I'm getting ready to change mine to that very soon. I understand now. It's endless. All that's so I can say this. If I choose to spend the money, meet a business guy out there, take the old lady out, maybe the kids out, I don't want to sit down, spend all that money, and deal with people the whole time. No. Stay away from my table. Bring me one cut of meat that I ordered and leave me alone. It's way Way too much going on for me. Way too much going on for me. We're going to ask Michael Malice his take on the Brazilian steakhouse. Hang on. Super Beats Heart Chews Taste Good. I think it's weird that I lead with that. But listen, when I heard the name Beats, I immediately went, ugh, no, I'm good. I'd rather just die. That's how much I hate Beats. <laughs> I hate the smell of them. I hate the taste of them. So when someone first told me about Super Beats, one of my buddies, I, I blew him off. So hear me now. Super Beats heart chews do not taste like Beats. They taste like freaking dessert. I eat two Super Beats heart chews with my dinner every single night. They are all natural, and they're good for my heart. They're good for my blood pressure. So, look, take care of yourself. It's the only heart you're ever going to have, I promise you. Go to GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. That's GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. Buy two bags. Get the third for free. Joining me now, host of Your Welcome. He does every Monday at this hour. I know this is becoming appointment radio for my listeners, according to my emails. Michael Malice. Michael, what's your take on the Brazilian steakhouse? It's way too much noise and and busyness for me if I'm going to spend that kind of money. Uh, Okay. Some of us like meat. Some of us aren't little girls. And (laughs) we enjoy having choices. Uh, I know you couldn't handle New York back in the day, but don't worry. (laughs) If you came here now, there would be no noise and very little meat. So I guess you've won. No. You, and the other, you and the other soy boys have won. <laughs> now, hold on. I'm a New York freak. I, I specialize in those sidewalk hot dogs, the sidewalk gyros. I love New York City. I'll not be painted as anti-New York. You're not a New York freak. You're a New York tourist, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, and, and, there's, and there's nothing to come here and see. So I was just in Texas. I hope it's a little warmer for you guys. But not too much warmer. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, it's seventy degrees already. Yeah, the ice is oh, okay. It's, it's it's perfect. It's yeah, it's perfect weather down here already. <laughs> but it's it's you know, it's funny. Texans act like the cold was the end of the world, but it was for a lot of people because they were just completely yeah. unprepared for this thing. Failures at every possible level. We had people freezing to death in their mobile homes. It was terrible, man. I hope you had plenty of your almond milk sucked up. That you liked, Jesse. <laughs> That's not nice. That's not nice. All right. I have to ask, 
the uh, be less white training that you've seen about at Coca-Cola. Just that's one example of this critical race theory that has infected corporations, schools, churches. Does this thing have a cap to it? Are enough people waking up to it, or is this thing just going to keep spreading? Because it's really, really bad, the end result of this whole thing. Um, I don't know. I think that Coke thing might not have been accurate. Uh, it might have been a hoax. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't done my homework on that. Um, this is, of course, going to be spreading. Uh, you know, progressivism, by its nature, is an evangelical faith that needs to, starting with Woodrow Wilson in 1917, needs to spread itself to every single corner of the world, into every bedroom, into every boardroom, into any, every classroom. So it, the form it takes changed. A uh, hundred years ago would have been about the workers, the, the laborer, the working class. Uh, now it's about people of color and people who are of the LGBT community. And it's not even really about them. It's just a means to an end to further power and to have domination, which I think in- increasingly conservatives are realizing because the script flips every five minutes. So this is going to be continuing. But the good news is increasingly people are realizing there's no conversation to be had here. This is not a discussion being made in bad faith. This isn't Coca-Cola or some corporation saying, uh, it was, look how quickly this moved, Jesse. I just realized that. Remember like five years ago, Starbucks had a race together campaign where the cashiers were encouraged to talk about race with their customers yes. and, it blew, and it blew up in their face and they pulled it back, right? And now, instead of that being a suggestion, it's a mandatory order to the employees. So because our nation is self-segregating into two cultures, they're not really having pushback within their own culture, and it's going to be escalating to a absurd and I think hilarious degree. It's funny how alike we think on these things. I, I've been explaining just before you got on. I explained, yeah, you have a bunch of unwitting servants to the big tech people in the Democratic Party, but for the most part, these people are just foot soldiers for the people who really run the show. They think yes. they're doing good for for you know what well, for black people and feminism and LGBTQ Air Force and all these guys, but in reality, they're just idiots who are not going to be in charge in the end. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a, a mechanism for them to feel like they're, like the old expression, do something. This was another uh, lefty um, catchphrase maybe 20 years ago, do something, capital D, capital S. And it's really hard to do something if you're in a pandemic and you're not a medical person. Uh, but, you know, talking frequently uh, about how much you don't hate minorities apparently is doing something and something that you shouldn't be asking yourself, why do I need to talk about this all the time? Maybe I should just be a good person and treat human beings with decency in class. How, what's the Michael Malice? Obviously, we've talked about this a million times on about smaller things, but what's the Michael Malice overarching take on the pandemic, on coronavirus, on all the fallout we've seen from it? Um, if I could sum it up in one sentence, uh, regardless of your political views, uh, the pandemic has given some very, very bad people some very useful information about how much uh, the population will put up with and what their boundaries are. And uh, you and I have discussed this before. Uh, 19, the Great War, Woodrow Wilson established the New Deal because then they could say, look, you had World War I, you had the government controlling literally everything, and now we're having a war on poverty. So that kind of um, gets the populace vaccinated or prepared to do it again in peacetime. So if they wanted to pull this trigger for 
global warming, uh, terrorism, domestic terrorism, whatever it is, it wouldn't be hard for some of these Democratic governors to be instituting um, uh, lockdowns or, or something like a quarantine or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, in order to further whatever issue of the day is. What people realize, and I know you harp on this all the time correctly, it's not about what they say it is. It's always about power and control. They use language very differently than you and I do. Why do they use language? What's the difference in mentality? Is this upbringing? Is this just how they were made? What What is the difference there? Because you're right. We're so plainly spoken, and they never are. What is the difference? Well, because it's just a mechanism for having power over other human beings. Um, and you can't, you can't sit there and say, I want to rule, and I want to have control over you. So it's much more useful. And the thing is, what people don't appreciate is there's a lot of people who want to be ruled. The, the, prom, the, the trade-off is, I do what you tell me, and you keep me safe and secure. And this is one of the reasons why they were melting down so hard during the Trump era, because the promise was being broken. They weren't keeping him safe from Trump because the big bad guy was in the White House, and they didn't know what to do about it. They felt invaded. They felt like he was in their home, and they made it a point to feel that way because he was on their televisions constantly invading their privacy and safe space. So, you know, that's kind of the Faustian bargain. And for those of us who don't think in those terms, we don't want to be safe as a function of the government. It's a completely alien mindset. The question is, are they born that way? Are they raised that way? Are they trained that way in public schools? It's, they're certainly conditioned that way through the entertainment system. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot going on there. It does not sound good. You usually give us the bright side of things. Give me the why, what, what good news should we be focused on now? Oh, the good news is it doesn't really matter how many cows are on the farm. It just matters who the farmers are. So before the argument used to be, well, we got to persuade these people to our point of view. We got to sit down and talk to them. And now you realize there's not really minds there. They're kind of just you know, they're there as scenery, but if if the good guys were winning, they'd be on the side of the good guys, whoever the good guys are presented as in the media. So that's the, it's realizing that it's not a numbers game is a reason to be enormously optimistic. You and I talked last week about the Cuomo thing, how we were trying to figure it out. We had an extensive discussion on the air about it. It's getting worse. There's impeachment talk. There's possible federal crime talk now. This dog pile on Cuomo is getting terrible. You never see the left do this to themselves. You have some new insight on this we didn't have last week? Well, first of all, a couple of things. You do see it. They did it with Al Franken, and everything Al Franken was accused of pales in comparison to this. Uh, they also, at, at one point, to some extent, turned on Bill Clinton decades after. But yeah, this is completely... Uh, uh, and A few Illinois governors went to jail, but that was more a function of the law. That wasn't like the Democratic mm-hmm. Party in Illinois turned on them. So you're right, this is completely unprecedented. They've never built someone up in the press. Jesse Smollett's another great example. That's a perfect example, because they built him up. Look, he almost got lynched in Chicago, MAGA country, and then when it came out, he was completely lying. They didn't turn on him. They just were quiet. Whereas with Cuomo, they're really piling on. So again, I'm not really sure. Here's the other thing that really drives me crazy, which I'm sure you'll agree with. There's so many people in in my mentions on Twitter who are insisting nothing will ever possibly happen to, to Cuomo. And the point is, that's like saying unlikely things never happen. 
Yeah. Already something has happened to him, which we have never seen, yeah. which is having the media turn on him and destroy his potential for higher office. So I'm very excited to see what's going to happen next. And I'm, I'm unfortunate. It's unfortunate this is happening because this means he murdered people. It's not just some kind yeah. of scandal where he was chasing his skirt. Michael Malice, everybody. Thank you so much, my brother. Always a pleasure, Jesse. Talk soon. Be right back. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Most white people and Europeans are about agendas and to-do lists and tasks and, oh, we have 30 minutes for this and, oh, time to move on, where many people of color Maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. In South Africa, if we were meeting right here, 235, if uh, Craig Bill walked in right now in South Africa, what would happen is they would stop, welcome him, how was your weekend, you had the plans for Thanksgiving, and would bring him up to speed on what he missed if we were in South Africa. If somebody, if Craig Bill walked in right now here in Tumwater, Washington, we say hello, uh, this, and maybe somebody, would, well, our chairs are gracious, so you all would let them know here we are, but it's basically, this is where we are, so just get with it. Mm-mm-mm. Headline, foxnews.com, legal experts warn New York Governor Cuomo's nursing home scandal may rise to federal level of criminal offense. This guy made some very, very powerful people very angry. He did. He absolutely did. Don't forget, we have a grid expert coming on. I don't know how power goods work. You don't know how power goods work. I mean, I know the generalities of it, but we're going to find out how power grids work here in about, oh, 30, 45 minutes. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Remember, you can call. Call live. You can leave a voicemail. You can email me your love, your hate, your death threats, your ask Dr. Jesse questions. They all go right to Jewish producer Chrissy Prince of my read them. I will not respond to your email. I get way too many, but I will read them. You can ask Chris. I read every single one. And don't forget about leaving podcast reviews because they podcast the show on iTunes. This one's titled Dear Marine Warrior Shogun. Jesse Kelly is the man. He's a total beast with the greatest history segment on radio or podcast. I don't know about that. 
I love how he ties history to today and educated people on the dangers our society is facing, which seems to be circling history doomed to repeat it. Men are envious of him and women want to be with him. He's my new favorite podcast. Another one is, I don't even know what this means, Chris. This one's titled One of a Kind. You're more likely to find Crichton Leprechaun's goals. Gold? Crichton Leprechaun's gold. Crichton is spelled C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N. Crichton, Crichton. Ride the Loch Ness Monster or see a woman do a pull-up than you are to find a more handsome oracle than Jesse Kelly. Also, his podcast is really good. Love the history lessons. <laughs> I love you guys. Gosh, we got some good emails. This one, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But I'll just say that this guy has a, a sentence at the or a paragraph at the end. It says, Rush was saying in the tribute shows to do something you love. Find your passion. My passion is not flying. I don't like it anymore. My kid has trisomy, uh, trisomy 21. It's down, trim, down syndrome. My passion is that. Pro-life movement. When the OB asks your wife if you're, quote, sure you want to keep the baby, Jesse, that changes a man. I'm not as bold, as brave, definitely not as confident as you, but it lights a fire under me. Hold up right there, pal. As much as I love compliments, I love focusing on me all day long. You were given a choice. You chose to keep that child. Sounds like you chose to love that child endlessly. I'm sure that child is extra special to you now. You'd never change him. That's plenty bold. That's plenty brave. Don't you shortchange yourself one bit. And about this whole find your passion thing, let me be a bit more practical about it than that. One, you know, that find something you love to do, find someone who will pay you to do it line we've all heard a thousand times in our life. Yes, obviously, that's, that's true in a perfect world. But so often, so often in life, You do what you have to do, especially as a man, to provide for your family. Do what you love to do. Find someone who will pay you to do it. Okay. Uh, I didn't find what I love to do and find someone to pay me to do it until I was like 38 years old. Before that, I did what I had to do to feed my family. If you do find a passion, and it involves taking less money, but you love to do it, run after it though. Run after it though. I will tell you, I'm doing it now. Took a huge chance a little less than three years ago. And now I get to screw off for a living on the radio. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Dear Sausage Shogun. Why Sausage Shogun? Were we talking about sausages, Chris? The Russian Sausage King. I forgot about that legend. Daggone it. He's got the best name ever. All right. Dear Sausage Shogun, given your past uh, sinisterly accurate predictions, how do you see Kamala's presidency going after Biden steps down or gets, (laughs) gets 25th? All I can do is laugh about our current state of affairs and ponder the future state of the U.S. When Kamala takes over, understand this. Because it's going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. You want to know what that's really going to be like? Kamala Harris's presidency? I'll tell you in a sec.
Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Kelly DC. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Locals. That's the one I can't get kicked off of. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. The Kamala Harris presidency is going to be very odd because Kamala Harris is such an intensely unlikable human being. You will see a full court press from the media pretending she's something she's not forever. It'll be odd because the president in general is somebody at least half the country likes, half the country hates him, half the country loves him. Kamala Harris will be despised by 80-90% of the country, which is going to make it awkward in 2024 for Democrats if they're facing a likable Republican. You see where this is going? It's going to be a full-court press to remake her. But... When you're that age, you are what you are and you cannot be remade. All right. Is it all women's fault and the whole GameStop thing? We have to have a chat. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I, could, I really, I honestly don't care about that part, but you know what? Are we alone? Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to call me out, I'm going to f*** you up. <laughs> Sorry, that's just me. <laughs> you know, they forget that there's real people on the other side of those, those letters that they're writing. Yes. We're real community members. We have kids or have known kids that have gone to these schools. Right have a vested interest in this process 
and they don't know what we right. do behind the scenes. And it's really unfortunate exactly. that they want to pick on us because right. they want their babysitters back. Right. 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 Okay. Uh-oh. Laura Lanier, just FYI, you guys have the meeting. Oh, we have the meeting open to the public right now. Nuh-uh. That's what Lori just said. Great. <laughs> that was a an online school board meeting where they got a little too honest and you got to hear it live. Oh, everybody's watching this right now. <laughs> it should be noted they have all since resigned since that. If I can say something briefly, though, not in defense of the teachers, but kind of in defense of the teachers. <sighs> they want their babysitters back. I, as long as humanly possible, will never have my kids in government schools of any kind. If you are in a situation where you have to, I get it that you know you don't ever get judgment from me. Not ever. I will not judge you for it. I will avoid it. And it's not only because of this, the curriculum. It's not just because of the anti-America filth that is taught in public schools. It's because that whole babysitting thing is kind of accurate. Have you talked to any teachers, principals in these government schools? I have. I do all the time. I get the emails. The dirty little secret nobody wants to talk about is you got 10% of the students there who have bad parents, who don't do any parenting, and the school is a place for them to take a nice seven-hour break from having any obligations, and they dump that little monster off to hang out with your kids. That kid has not been taught anything about life, about politeness, about anything. I don't want my kids raised around those kids. I don't. And I am exclusive about it, and I don't feel bad about it at all. You have raised your kid to be an animal. I'm trying to raise my men purposefully to be good young men, even though I'm not one. I don't want mine around yours, period. I don't. Uh, uh, uncomfortable rule of life, and this is a absolute fact. And I don't care that it's offensive. I'm offensive. Are you ready? I'm about to offend everybody. You have to price out the riffraff. Period. End of story. I have told this story before. I'll tell it again. When I was fresh out of the Marine Corps, dead broke, buddies getting married, gets married on a cruise. Okay, cool. It was awesome. It was one of the coolest weddings I've ever seen. Destination weddings are the bomb diggity. Everybody gets a little, little fun. We have fun on this cruise. They decide they're going to have a five-year anniversary later. They want to take the same cruise ship. It was old when we initially took it. It was ancient when we hopped on it again. I'm not going to call out the cruise line or anything like that. I'm not here to blast somebody like that. We go to book it, and it's it's $150 a night? That's, that's staying in a Super 8 or something like that anymore. $150 a night? For a for a for a cruise, that doesn't. Wow, that's awesome. But again, I don't have any money, so we go. It was another four or five night cruise. It was rough on that cruise ship, Jack. Why? 
was $150 a night. Everybody, you got everybody going on a bargain basement cruise. You're taking a family on vacation for eight, nine hundred bucks. Of course you have that crowd. Of course you have that crowd. And I don't feel bad for pointing it out. I'm never taking another $150 a night cruise. If I fall on hard times, and I certainly might, life comes at you fast. Maybe you're on hard times. I'm just not going on a cruise. I've told my wife, and she hates this because she loves live sporting events, and I do too. But back when we were watching the NFL, I've been to several NFL games. I went to a Super Bowl. I took my wife. I'm a New York Giants fan. I took my wife to a Super Bowl when we were living in Tucson. They played the New England Patriots in the, uh, the Phoenix area. And we didn't have a lot of money, but we'd been saving up for vacation. Giants make the Super Bowl. She was a Giants fan, too. We were like, screw it. We're spending all our vacation money getting two Super Bowl tickets. They were like $3,000 a piece. It was absurd. It was so much money. But we show up at the Super Bowl. Could not been a cleaner, better atmosphere, rival fans all around us, yet everybody's polite, well-mannered, shaking hands, high fives, just the best game day experience in the world. I've been to four or five other NFL games. The worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Grown men, 50-some years old, vomiting and walking up the stairs. And see, this is going to sound like I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I'm the worst person in the world, but the strippers, oh, sorry, cheerleaders out there. I, dude, I'm trying to take my sons to the game. I don't need him to hit puberty at seven. My wife got hit with a flying whiskey bottle somebody threw. Just the, the most embarrassing. Well, you pay $40 for a ticket. You're going to get the $40 a ticket crowd, period. End of story. I know, Chris. I, look, Kristen's cringing over there. We all know it's a money thing. Dude, I get it. Because whatever we'd go, because I didn't have any money, we'd always stay up. It was always in the nosebleeds. That's all I could afford. I'm not doing it anymore. I'll stay home. I ha- Everyone has a big screen TV now. I bet even Jewish producer Chris has a big screen. Of course he does. Yeah, this guy doesn't spend his time. Everyone has a big screen TV. I'll stay home. I got butt heavies in the fridge right there. I got pizza rolls in the oven. Making myself a little homemade queso? Why do I need to go ha- get vomited on? Beer spilled on me. Grown men acting like idiots. I'm not going. Because of the price. Because of the price. Speaking of money. GameStop investors who bet big and lost big. Salvador Vergara was so enthusiastic about GameStop in late January that he took out a $20,000 personal loan and used it to purchase shares. Then the buzzy stock plunged nearly 80%. You all remember the GameStop thing. I'm not going to recap it for you. I will tell you this, though. That was from WallStreetJournal.com, by the way. When things like that happen, and there's going to be another thing like that that happens. It's probably not going to be about stocks, but it, there's some kind of little viral buzz event that happens. And the human nature part of you and I is, oh, I want to get involved. I want to get in on that. I want This, this is a fireworks show. I want some fireworks. Someone give me some fireworks so I can set off fireworks. Everyone's having fireworks fun. Oh, no, it blew up in my hand. I don't have any fingers left. 
When things like that happen, you watch the circus. You don't leave the stands and go try to dance with the dancing bears. You watch the circus. Watch, please. Enjoy. Oh, look, the tiger's tiger's jumping on a ball. You don't say, I'm going to go wrestle the tiger. Watch the circus. Do not participate. All right. It's time to address, is this all the fault of women? Ouch. Hang on. You know, you can take just two Super Beats heart chews a day, anytime, anywhere, to get the blood pressure support you need and the energy you want. You do how you do. I do mine at dinner time. Whenever I eat dinner, it's my little dessert. You, you'll see two of them sitting by my water glass every single night. I sit down, I eat dinner, drink my water. My dessert are, is my Super Beats heart chews. I prefer the pomegranate berry. A lot of people love the super grapes. I love super grapes, too. I go back and forth, but right now I'm a big pomegranate berry guy. The important thing is, though, there's no beets flavor. (laughs) Super beets, heart shoes do not taste like beets, but they're all natural, and they're outstanding for you. Take care of your heart. Take care of your blood pressure. Go to GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. That's GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. Buy two bags, get the third for free. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com Well, of course, large businesses like Amazon uh, and McDonald's, for example, can can and perhaps should pay more. But I'm, I'm wondering, what is your plan for smaller businesses? How does this, in your view, affect mom and pop businesses who are just struggling to keep their doors open, keep workers on the payroll right now? Well, they shouldn't be doing it by paying people low wages. We don't want uh, low wage businesses. I think most successful small businesses can pay a fair wage. If you look at the minimum wage, it increased with worker productivity until 1968, and that relationship was severed. If workers were actually getting paid for the value they were creating, it would be up to $23. So I love small businesses. I'm all for it. But I don't want small businesses that are underpaying employees. It's fair for people to be making what they're producing, and I think $15 is very reasonable in this country. Keep saying the private part out loud. (laughs) All right. Let's get on to something more important. Me. Remember, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We have a power grid expert coming up in 10 minutes. I'm absurdly nerdily looking forward to this. I want to know. I want to know. Your Federalist commentary. This is an email. Your Federalist commentary is spot on. I travel the country, mostly in rural conservative areas, engaging community service projects, and the lazy stupidity of conservatives is beyond belief. Many simply do not want to think. 
All they seem to want to do is go to work, pay some attention to family, perhaps go to church, hunt and fish, then rant against liberals. But as you pointed out, they are thus severely open to public narratives that are not in the best interests of conservatives or the nation. But here is the dirty little secret that you or any other conservative media figure will not touch, as I read it on the air. Women are at the heart of this intellectual laziness and inability to fight. They want domestic peace and pressure for their men. And many of the men do not want to fight for what is right to water down their passions in the name of domestic bliss and tranquility. The men are thus in bondage to and place domestic tranquility above what is right. All the while, the nation and culture disintegrates. There is so much to unpack here. One, that whole do not want to think. All they want to do is go to work, pay attention, go to church, hunt, fish, and rant against liberals. There is, There are inherent natures to ideologies that people end up attaching themselves to, following. If you are somebody on the right, conservative, libertarian, a nationalist populist, whatever, whatever thing on the right, you are there because it's attractive to you. It's attractive to you in general because you want to be left alone. It is a passive ideology. And I don't mean passive as being a bad thing, although in this, this case it turns out that way. In general... You do just want to live your life. You compartmentalize your life. I, look, I do. I do this for a living now. I, I, I get paid to talk about politics four hours a day. And when I'm off work, dude, don't, don't bring up politics to me. And this is where I get into trouble with even friends of mine, longtime friends of mine. I get text messages. Hey, did you see what Biden said? Did you see this or that? Did you see? Hey, there's a video you have to read online. Hey, make sure you read this article. Make sure you. Bro, politics is your hobby. Politics is my job. When I'm off work, I don't want to talk to you about Joe Biden for 45 minutes. I just did that for four hours a day. You go do that with other people where it's your hobby. I don't want to do that. But that makes me normal. That makes me like you. I do compartmentalize. Before I had this job, I have my politics. I, the, the Politics is a hobby. I have my family. I have my hobbies. I go to church. I go to, that, is in, that is our nature. And then you have the communist's nature. As every single listener right now knows, it is a religion of domination. There's nothing passive about it. It is aggressive, dominating, always moving forward, always consuming. Well, if you have, just setting aside the names of them, if you have on one side a rabidly, bloodthirsty, aggressive enemy force, and that force is going up against a passive, leave me alone, I just want to be left alone force, well, that's only going to turn out one way. And that's why it turned out the way it turned out. That's how they got everything. It's simply impossible to have a passive mentality and defeat communism. It is not humanly possible. It has never been done. It never will be done. So that's part of it. But as far as the blaming women thing, I think you're dead wrong. Again, what he said here was this. Here's a dirty little secret that you and other conservative media figures will not touch. Women are at the heart of this intellectual laziness and inability to fight. 
They want domestic peace and pressure on their men, and many of the men do not want to fight for what is right to water down their passions in the name of bliss and tranquility. The men are thus in bondage to and place tranquility above what is right, all the while the nation and culture disintegrates. Buddy, let me ask you. You listen to my show. A million people a day do. Twitter, Facebook, you see the, the things I put out online. Have you ever once seen me bow to the feminists? Have you ever once seen me get scolded and shamed and hide from some woman who gets offended by something I said? The problem, you're missing it, buddy. The problem is not what women want. Because I don't necessarily disagree that women want peace and tranquility. I don't disagree that's a bad thing. Peace is a good thing. Tranquility is a good thing. I disagree that it's the men's fault for, or that it's the women's fault that the men bow to it. You decide what brings you to your knees and what does not. You decide. Yes, it's a woman's nation to want peace. You've all, you've all seen a fight in person. I would guess most of my audience has. Maybe you've been involved in one. What do you see every time you see one? The men are out there having a big old fist fight, and you got 8,000 annoying women. Stop! Somebody stop them! Stop! That's the human nature of it. If you choose to stop and then get your butt kicked because your woman was yelling you to stop, so you put your hands down and catch her right in the jaw, don't blame your woman. You dropped your hands. There's a fight to be had, a huge, important life-changing fight to be had for the future of what this culture looks like. If you don't want to engage in it because it makes your lady uncomfortable, that ain't on your lady, brother. That's on you. That's why, I mean, while I enjoy making fun of feminists, because what's more fun than that? I don't blame feminism for the rise of feminism. I blame men. If you don't like that uh, women are are different today than they were before, these women are filling vacuums that men left for them. That's why I talk about flats all the time, and I say I have a huge societal thing I make out of it. You know why women's flats are a good thing, acceptable to wear in a professional environment? Because men are weak. Because women want to wear them, so they told each other they look good. And in this feminist-dominated society, no man had the guts to step up and say, those look awful. You look like you're on your way to ballet practice. Go put on something presentable. If I wore sweatpants, I would hear it. That's not appropriate. It's unprofessional. And if I gave the same response women give with flats, but they're comfortable, I would still get told, that's unprofessional. That looks horrible. Go take those off. Are you serious? Go put on real. I'm on the radio and I'm not wearing sweatpants. But again, this is why the American male got beaten down and weak. Don't blame women for your weakness. Let's talk to a power grid expert. Hang on. ready to adopt a teen for late nights writing English papers 
or your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Oh, it's Power Grid time. I've been looking forward to this all day. Joining me now is David Grantham. He's the author of Consequences in Intel Officers War, and he's a senior fellow at the Center of Secure and Free Society. David, pretend I just woke up and was bored. I've been in a coma forever. What's a power grid to begin with? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, in the United States, the power grids are separated essentially in three parts, the eastern interconnection, the western interconnection, and the Texas interconnection. The reason that Texas is in the news is because we are the only state with a grid. Now, it's not completely autonomous. It connects to the other grids. All grids connect to one way or the other. But we're the only state that can isolate itself on the grid. And when all this weather came through, which us Texans are, are uh, completely clueless about, when it gets below 20, uh, the grid just essentially shut down. Okay. Why did it shut down? Nobody can see it. Was it the, I don't want to, I don't want to just propagandize. Was it the, the windmill's fault? Was it, was it oil and gas's fault? Was it nuclear's fault? Was it Joe Biden's fault? Was it Greg Abbott's fault? Who did this? No, that's a great question. So there's, and I appreciate you not trying to propagandize because it's really not that easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know politi- people are scoring political points right now uh, trying to explain, but really what I'm seeing so far and then what I know from my experience is you could sum it up like this. Green energy failed completely. The rest of it failed mostly. So natural gas actually froze. It was so cold it froze. Uh, the trucks that would deliver natural gas couldn't get places. Uh, because uh, the roads came impassable. We weren't prepared. We hadn't prepared the roads for travel. <clears throat> uh, the the green, green energy failed completely. So e- there is some truth to the fact that uh, green energy, relying on it, becomes a problem. But overall, the really the, the overarching thing is the grid was not prepared. And that's the biggest problem. Uh, it wasn't winterized. It wasn't hardened. And, and I had the privilege of testifying to the Texas Senate several years ago, mainly about the threats from foreign adversaries with electromagnetic pulse threats, which could essentially fry the grid, and how adversaries were looking at those options as a way to attack the United States. But in the meantime, we said, 
while you're fixing the grid and hardening it, you can winterize it. I mean, it, it can all be done because we need to prepare for what we call low-frequency, high-impact events. This was a low-frequency event. And for a long time, you know, uh, the Texas legislature has only been a handful of uh, officials that have gone after this problem, and they've been stymied time and time again. So I really the blame is at the foot of the Texas government for not taking this on and for ignoring the issue for years and years and years, and now we're paying the price. David, why have they been stymied? Who stymied them? What's the, what's the point of stymying them? Why? Well, it, it comes down to several factors, but really the, the main thing is with Texas having uh, its own grid, the the debate on how you harden it and whether it's worth it, uh, it gets stoked by There's not other states involved. There's not other officials involved. So really, we have a very robust energy industry here, obviously. There's a lot of influence there. And what it really came down to, and and you can understand the argument on both sides. What it really came down to is we can't prepare for low frequency because it's too expensive, and we're not going to prepare for it because uh, it's uh, the likelihood of it happening is not worth it. So essentially, security, I mean, I've worked in Intel and security for a long time. It's always cost. There's no revenue generated from security. So whenever anybody, government companies, whenever they look at security, they always – Look at the cost, because that's all it is. How much is it going to cost me? And frankly, uh, legislators decided it wasn't worth the price uh, to prepare the grid, and because of the low likelihood. And that's a you know, that could be a common uh, misconception uh, until something bad happens like this. So that's that's really what it came down to. It's just the decision not to do it because they didn't feel like it was necessary. That's not now. That's not to say we didn't have the money. We've had the money. We've decided to spend that money elsewhere. So that's the other misnomer that needs to uh, uh, be corrected out there is it's not like we didn't have the money. We did. We just chose not to invest in that project. Nationally, you mentioned obviously the three different grids. Nationally, how vulnerable is our power grid to attack? I know a lot of people, most of my listeners are not in Texas, although I have a bunch of them that are here. But I will tell you, you really figure out how debilitating it is when your area loses power. Are we vulnerable to some kind of attack? We are absolutely vulnerable. And here's here's the thing. And you're, you know, you're a veteran, so you understand uh, the way adversaries think. They, they're very imaginative. They have time to consider uh, how they would want to destabilize the United States. And one of the keys, and this is documented, Iran has, has written this out in, in some of their uh, warfare, 21st century warfare uh, ideas. Russia has talked about this. But the idea of taking down the grid, whether it's through cyber, whether it's through what electric, electric magnetic pulse, an EMP, which essentially is a nuclear bomb that would explode in the atmosphere and fry, physically fry the grid. These are all ideas that these adversaries are throwing out there because it avoids direct confrontation. There's a lot of countries, to include Iran, to include Venezuela even, who can't go toe-to-toe with us militarily. They have to have other options. The grid is a perfect option because it allows for a kinetic result. It allows for a devastating military-like result without having to engage directly. Attribution can be obscured. We're not sure who did it or how. 
there's a lot of benefits to it. So they've been our adversaries have been exploring this idea, and so there was actually an EMP commission that was uh, the put out uh, or, or formed by the U.S. government back in, I believe it was 2004, to explore this issue. Are we vulnerable? And they came back and said, not only are we vulnerable, but if the grid did go down, uh, the cascading effects, and that's the other key that I haven't brought up, but cascading, it's not so much the grid goes down, but all the other impacts that come from that. Right now we're having water issues in Texas. It's 70 degrees outside. We still have water issues from what happened a week ago. So anyway, the grid is incredibly vulnerable, and the cascading issues could put us in the dark ages fairly quickly if this grid is not hardened. Is the federal government, uh, I, I, my criticisms for the current federal government aside, is the federal government aware that we need to harden everything? Obviously, Texas is now aware when something like this happens, there'll be changes. That's inevitable. Is the federal government aware and doing something about it? Yes. And in fact, I know of people that have had had worked closely with the Trump administration to begin the process of securing the grid. Um, and obviously, with the change in administration, those talks have stalled, or at least they have diverted to uh, other issues. But the federal government has been well aware for a long time. Uh, but with an issue, the way the grids are laid out, it, the federal government can't just walk in and do something. What they have been doing is attempting to harden areas of the federal government that are connected to the grid. So like military bases or strategic military bases, any sort of um, uh, places around D.C. that are going to be last resort locations for elected officials, they've been working to harden those areas. Uh, because that's in their jurisdiction. So to all say, yes, the federal government is aware. It really comes down to state governments, and especially Texas, because I argue Texas is really the heartbeat of America's national security with all the military, with all the clear defense contractors we have in Texas. Uh, they need the wherewithal to move forward to harden the grid. David Grantham, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Jesse. How about that? We had a minor disaster at our house, Chris. Hang on. I'll explain. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That power grid stuff is wild, man. I've I've had so many national security guys tell me, watch the water supply, watch the power supply. That's where every nation is vulnerable. You just don't you don't think about the local water plant as being something gigantically important to the safety of a country, to the safety of a, a particular area of the country. It is. It very much is. Water is kind of important. So go out to the house yesterday because I'm turning all the pipes back on. We had, we winterized everything as best as possible, turned all the pipes back on. I open up a valve and immediately water starts spraying out. And I look and we had a little pipe thing blow up, which is not, look, it's not the end of the world. We're fine. The people are going through a lot worse than that. We're going to get it fixed. But I start calling around for plumbers last night because when I discovered it. One guy said, I can put you on the list for a month from now. Another guy, another guy who's coming. And I still don't know if I'm going to get this thing fixed. Another guy who's coming. He said, I mean, look, buddy, I can come. I can check it out. There's a good chance the part you need does not exist in the state of Texas at the moment. Because everything's sold out. They can't get anything in here to fix the stuff. You don't think about that far reaching stuff till it happens. Dear Oracle Kelly, I just listened to righteous indignation, and the whole time I thought he was—he is the same as you. Did you ever meet Andrew? He's talking about Andrew Breitbart. Breitbart. What are your thoughts? By the way, this book was as relevant today as it was then. By the way, I do think you're right every time. You can use my name. Sherry is her name. Uh, I did meet Andrew Breitbart. Breitbart was an interesting guy. Back when I was running for Congress— a group of hardcore conservatives flew me out. I've told you this before to go raise some money in California, trying to raise some money from people stuck in California. They couldn't do any good in their own state. So they would find people with, you know, swing districts and raise them some money. And we went to some big fancy Hollywood party and Andrew Breitbart was there. I did meet him. We didn't talk long. I don't want to act like we sat and had this long. I didn't know him at all. I just met him. It was very, very brief. But what a dude, man. What a dude. Very, very interesting guy. Very sharp. The left hated Andrew Breitbart because he was formerly one of them and he knew exactly how they thought. That's why they hated Andrew Breitbart. The left doesn't worry about the the guy on the right who wants to be the better man. Oh, we have to do things the right way. That's music to the ears of a leftist. Some guy who actually understands how they think, what they think, complete nightmare for them. Redstate.com, French government launches an investigation, blames America for Islamo-leftist influence over its universities. Yeah. The government announced such in the words of the Daily Wire, quote, following months of rhetoric from top French officials and leading academics warning against ideas coming to France from America's university. I'm not going to go into the entire article just because we don't have time of it, but just note one of the things is some French intellects have argued that American universities are to blame for giving justification to acts of terrorism carried out by Muslims after three Islamic terrorist attacks last fall. Education Minister Blanker accused the universities of being complicit. Here's what's wild about what's going on in America right now. 
And I know it makes it seem even more ominous, but it just is what it is. Here's what's wild about it. Because we are so big, so powerful, such a national leader, we are constantly, constantly exporting what's going on here to other parts of the world. That can be an influence on freedom. That can be an influence on military matters. But when our top universities are teaching cultural Marxism, when our top universities are trashing Israel all the time, this is not coming from some jerkwater college somewhere in San Francisco. This is Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Stanford. Our top universities are doing these things. And then these professors leave. And, you know, I mean, this cushy professor life job, you go take a, a year or two long job in, in London. And, of course, you bring the wife along. And you live near college campus and you smoke corn cob pipes. And it's very much a all take care of their own type scenario. But whatever happens here is going other places. And we have a country like France saying, um, <clears throat> America's universities are a bit of a problem here, Jack. We, America's universities are a big problem here. What are we going to do about America's universities? That's when you know you're in deep, deep, deep trouble. Deep trouble. And again, I come back to this being our top universities. This is where our senators are coming from. Your next CEO of Coca-Cola, Nike, whatever. Your next CEO of the next Fortune 500 company He's been educated in these places. Why do you think you see activism everywhere? Everywhere. Cartoon Network running an anti-racist campaign for the kids. It's everywhere now. Hang on one sec. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Remember, you can leave us voicemails if you call live and we're not here or we're busy. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Email whatever you like. Tomorrow, tomorrow we got BK on. 
And BK is brewing on more stuff right now. <laughs> he's the best. Oh, he's the best. What a, uh, by the way, give a shout out to the great WTIC Hartford. Another one of our awesome affiliates. Love you guys. Cannot believe the show is growing like this, Chris. We were just talking about it during the break. He said, it's so weird how fat and it is so weird. It feels like we're still doing a one hour show at seven o'clock at night. Only they're listening to us nationwide now. That's so cool for three hours. But you know, I'm very important. What, Chris? I'm a very important person. Radio is basically saving the country. Radio and TV. I, who is saving America? Me. <laughs> That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me a drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.